Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Going to be begin reading in verse 68. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show his mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Due to technical difficulties in recording on Sunday, we're missing the first two minutes of the sermon. So we'll pick it up now in review as Zechariah has just met with the angel. This good news met it with disbelief and subsequent silence. The angel Gabriel says you will be unable to speak until you see these things come about. Last week, uh, Dad told us of another incident where the angel Gabriel appeared about a hundred miles away to Elizabeth's young cousin, Mary. And we heard even in that greeting the promise of another baby, Jesus, who would come. Now, a full nine months have passed since we first met Zechariah and Elizabeth. We'll see today the birth of that long-awaited one, the the prophet, the one who would come before, who would stand in the power of Elijah and proclaim, make way, prepare the way for the Lord. Have you ever waited for something a long time? So long that you just about gave up hoping for it. And now sometimes we wait and we long and we hope because uh, we're waiting on things that don't actually belong to us. I I hope my job turns around. I I hope this friendship turns around. I I really hope the situation in my life gets better. We're not always promised that that will happen. And yet God's people had been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah that was promised to come. For this prophet, they they knew there would be this prophet who would come and proclaim this coming of the Lord. And yet there's there's almost this weariness. There's this waiting that almost leads you to the place where you go, God, I'm not sure you're going to keep your word. Now, were we to read this passage 
out of context here this morning, I just want to tell you we could have an awesome, awesome sermon. Uh, we could actually have an awesome church. Uh, there's a lot of churches who do this. They just they, they lift God's word out of context and they make it say what they want it to say. Here's how we could uh, take this sermon. We're not going to. This is not what the sermon is about. Uh, we could start a whole crusade. The Eden Worship Center miracle breakthrough healing crusade and just, just off the charts. This is going to be great. This is going to be glorious. And here's, here's what you have to do. You have to come expecting your breakthrough miracle. By the way, I made this, this little fake banner based on real banner. I, I typed in miracle breakthrough uh, crusade, and there's one that looked almost exactly like it that came up. Uh, the Jokers looked a little different, but basically the same characters. Uh, all you got to do, here's, here's the wrong application of this, uh, lifted from the context, all you have to do, just like this older couple, is hold on to the promises of God. God did the impossible for them. He will do the impossible for you. You just have to have enough faith to make it happen. A couple Christmases ago, my brother Jason and his wife Andrea got me a gift that sits in my office, and it's a stamp that says heretical nonsense for research purposes only. <laughs> uh, on that application of this text, I think we could apply that. All right, so that's not what's happening. What is happening in this text? We actually see uh, these almost cartoonish characters of this older couple. Again, it, it's an echo. We saw this in uh, Abraham and Sarah, who were well advanced, beyond childbearing years, waiting for this promised child. Uh, we see Mary and Joseph, again, almost a caricature, because everywhere you go, you see little nativity scenes set up all over the place. We have one here, but they've turned into shadows, right? It, what, what is happening in this story and with these people? Well, here's what I want to say. Their lives and their story are meant to be signposts. They're meant to point us not to them, but to the fact that God is doing something. There is a sovereign God who is at work in these situations, who's accomplishing his good purpose. And so the point is not them. It's not their story. It's that Christ has come. That, that's what God was doing in that time with those people. He was saying, you've been waiting for a Messiah for all this time, and now Messiah has come. Prepare the way for the Lord. Our long-awaited Savior promised redeemer our king our lord our god is here as illustrated in both of those scenarios god can do the the impossible in fact uh one of the things i would like us to do at the end of this service i know we have several people who've been battling some health issues for a while uh, jonas has like some unanswered questions in health things and uh It'd be super nice where the doctors don't have any answers uh, if God would step in and do the miraculous. Uh, Wilma has been battling neck pain since the invention of neck pain. And by the way, it's not David. He's awesome, right? Uh, it's a totally different neck pain. And yet there again, doctors haven't had a lot of answers and hope. Uh, and here's what we're not saying. We're, we're not saying come with enough faith believing and we'll make it happen. That's just what if. What if today God has chosen to let the kingdom of God come near to them? What if, what if today 
uh, God wants to show his love and his kindness in sovereignly touching and healing. So often we acknowledge God shows his sovereign kindness towards us, not in fixing everything the way we want it fixed, but in his presence with us. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. And yet we want to be faithful to Scripture, knowing that uh, Scripture commands us, is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders. Let's pray for him. Let's see what God will do. Luke 10, verse 9, Jesus said to his disciples, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the message being proclaimed in the birth of this baby. The kingdom of God is coming near. This thing that you've waited for is coming near. So the first section as we consider John and his birth, I think should fall under the heading, he was born for them. All these people around who are witnessing, this is a for them moment. John is born for them. We're going to read through this passage beginning in verse 57 in Luke chapter 1. And as we do, I want you to notice all of the thems. All the times, because as we do this, we're going to see repeated again and again and again. Luke, the author of this passage, is shifting our focus. Up to this point, we've been looking at Zechariah. We've been looking at Elizabeth. We've been looking at Mary and this angel appearing to them. And right now, Luke is going to shift our attention and our focus off of those cartoon characters onto the them who stand watching. They're real people living real lives with real suffering. It, it was real pain in this older couple's life as they waited for year after year after a year for a baby to come that never came. Until they're so far gone that God says, now it has to be a miracle. So every time you see them, I want you to take note of that. And every time you see them doing something, the, the crowd, those who've gathered, uh, let's take note of that as well. Now, we haven't ever done this before, so I, I'm making no guarantees how this is going to work out. Uh, but let's read this together. Verse 57. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Up to this point, she's been main character here. And she bore a son who we're going to know as John. And here they are, our first introduction to them. And the neighbors and their relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. All right, so who are we talking about? Who's the them, everybody? Neighbors and relatives, all right? The Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced. All right, so what's their action? Rejoicing in what God has done. They rejoiced with her. They love her. They've been part of the grieving process with her, and now they're part of the rejoicing with her. And on the eighth, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. On the eighth day, they came to do what? Circumcise the child. Good grief. Right? Amen. Sometimes I'm glad these things happen in hospitals. And, now watch this, and they would have called him Zechariah. They were going to name the baby. Like you thought your family was involved in your business, right? Right? You thought your mom had a, an overreaching hand or your dad, good grief. Like your neighbors show up, like we got a list of names. We're going to have a baby reveal. And both, by the way, it's a surprise to you as well. They would have named him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother answers, no, he shall be called John. Just make note of that because it's going to be repeated twice in here for emphasis. And they said to her, right, so now, now they're talking back, 
Like, we got some questions. You probably know somebody who named their child, and you thought, I got some questions about that name, but you didn't say it. They said it out loud, which amazes me. Uh, But their question is, none of your relatives are called by this name, and they, again, make signs. Again, sign language coming out in the Bible. I was wrong. I said it was the only time. Happens twice. Uh, By the way, there's a little bit of a question here when it comes to sign language. Uh, If he's only mute, why are they making signs to him? If he's only silent, why are they making signs? Uh, The word that's actually the Greek word that gets used, it can be used both for being uh, mute or deaf. Uh, So there's a chance that Zechariah was not only unable to speak, but unable to hear. The scripture isn't clear on it. It's just a possibility. They make signs to the father because we're not going to take mom's word for it. Inquiring, again, what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet. I don't think it was an iPad, but it might have been. And what does he say? He confirms his name is John. And they wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he spoke, blessing God. And fear, that's their response, came on all their neighbors, right? So who's involved now? Everybody. Everybody who knows anything about this. And all these things were talked about. That's what they're doing. Aren't you glad to know talking didn't start with us? Uh, The gossip chain was alive and well. Talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them (laughs) laid them up in their hearts saying, uh, and this this is kind of the point, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord? was with him. Look look at all the theys in here. Luke has effectively shifted our attention from this older couple and this miraculous baby to all of the people who were watching. This is a representative not just of them, but of all the people of God who've been waiting, hoping, anticipating this coming Messiah. Waiting for the prophet who would go before the Messiah and now Luke effectively goes, this is it. Don't miss it. Here is what we're looking at. In fact, look at verse 59. On the eighth day, they brought the child to be circumcised. This is, this is more than just a religious ritual. We were told in the introduction to this couple, they were righteous, and they were faithful, and they were obedient to God and his law. Well, Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, commands God's people when they have a son to present him on the eighth day, just like you see here, to be circumcised. That was the Old Testament sign of the covenant. It's similar to the moments that we have in a baby dedication. In fact, it helps us understand and discern what's happening. Uh, This wasn't a group uh, mob circumcision that they were going for. Uh, It was actually much more akin to when we have a baby dedication and your friends and your family, those who are celebrating with you, who are standing with you, who are going to be there in the days to come, come and stand side by side with you and say, yes, we will be part of seeing that this child is raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They were so involved that as a community, uh, they felt it was appropriate for them to name the baby. Now, that, it's a little bit different from our day and age because we, we all have a, a family last name, and uh, then a first name that, that varies. So the last name is the same throughout your family and uh, a first name that, that varies throughout your family, except 
uh, for all of us weirdos who decided, like, we're going to have all of our kids start with the letter M, which if you're young, if, I know we have young families in here. We have those who don't have children yet. Just listen up real quick. Don't do that. That's insane. Here's why. Because there's going to come a day where you're frustrated with little Johnny and little Jimmy, and you can't remember which is which, right? Uh, and it, most of you have seen this in your family. Not only are all the names going to come out, there's going to be dog names, cat names, uh, other relative names that just come popping out. It's bad. It's bad. Just give like really, really different names, opposite end of the spectrum. You're welcome. It's going to work out better later in life. But what's the response? Twice in here, we see this pattern. No, his name is going to be John. Why, why John? It's kind of a generic name in our day and age. Right? If somebody is unidentified, uh, we will call them a John Doe. Just, just one of the most common names possible, except in the original language, it literally means Yahweh is gracious. Oh, this older couple has been waiting for 30 plus years, giving up hope almost. And God says, I'm gracious to you. This baby is a gracious gift to you. The people of God have been waiting under the oppression of uh, one empire after another after another, and now finally it's the Romans who are ruling over them with no end in sight. And God says, even in proclaiming the coming of this Savior, I'm gracious. This gift of John is God's gracious gift towards them. All right, kids, let's ask the question here. Who was it who came up with the idea to name the baby John? Do you remember? Was it, was it dad, or was it mom, or was it an angel? What do you think? An angel. How many of you think it's angel? How many of you think it was Pastor Harold? No, he wasn't around back then. Those of you who said angel were correct. It's the angel who says to them, you're going to name him John. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 13, but the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. After all those years of waiting, God is gracious. You're going to name him God is gracious. Every time you say his name, you're going to be reminded that God is gracious. He's been gracious to them. He's been gracious to God's people who've been waiting for this Messiah. And now, because of their waiting, because this looked so out of the ordinary, there's no way that this couple in at least their mid to late 60s should be expecting this special baby. But because of that, God is using it for the them, for all those who are watching. Luke 1.66, And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. We're going to see the same thing with Mary. All these promises made in Luke 2 verse 19, it said, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. But what's the question that they keep asking? What is this child going to be? What is with this baby who has been promised? And the answer is, he's going to be different from every baby that has come before. This is not like any other baby born in their time. In fact, uh, John the Baptist stands as the last official Old Testament prophet before the New Testament is inaugurated in Jesus. What is this baby? What is he going to be? Because God's hand of blessing seems to be upon him. 
These are promises that Israel has clung to for 700 years. It's been 700 years since the prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah 49, verse 5 and 6, The Lord says, Who formed you from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. I will make you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah couldn't see the full picture. He didn't know that he was sort of overlapping, promise, prophesying about both John the baptizer who would come before the Lord and Christ the King who would come and be the perfect fulfillment of all of that. And yet he nails this servant in Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now here's the thing that just, it shocks me about this. We're not given any details about the next 30 years of his life. We're not given any details why, uh, other than God's plan, mom and dad waited 30 years in frustration before a baby came, and then once this long-awaited child is born, son is born, John is born, all of the neighbors are watching, everybody's talking about it, and it's as if the scripture goes silent. Other than to say the hand of the Lord was with him. It's the same thing we're told of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the last verse of chapter 2 of Luke, this beautiful uh, nativity story of Jesus' birth, and it concludes, man, the hand of God was on him. He was growing in stature and favor with men and with God. It's the same thing we're told about the early church in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believe turned to the Lord. We're told it again about the New Testament church, Acts 11. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number turned and believed. The the context of that, sorry, I didn't get to the other one. Uh, The context of that is shooting us past while these guys were special. right? Remember we had those two families, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, and we go, well, of, of course the hand of God was with them. John the Baptist and Jesus, well, of course the hand of God was with them, except we find that the hand of God was with the early church. Normal believers, just like you and me. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. We saw the Holy Spirit filling Elizabeth and her unborn child earlier in Luke 1, verse 41. When they first encounter Jesus in the womb of his mother Mary, she walks into the room and the baby is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins leaping inside her womb. Moms, you've felt what it feels like when the baby kicks, right? This is ridiculous. You've never felt the baby kick and gone, I think he just got filled with the Holy Spirit. But this is a different level of kicking, right, going on here. Uh, Elizabeth immediately, also filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy, uh, knows things about Mary that she has no business knowing, except it's the word of the Lord coming through her. Uh, Later, Luke is going to tell us that the same thing happens with the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Same same word, same author that Luke is using. He's going to use the same phrase to describe Peter being filled with the the Holy Spirit, and then declaring God's word. We're going to be told the same thing about the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 13, verses 9 
through 11. Only now, instead of declaring the gospel like Peter does, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can publicly rebuke a false prophet. Just kind of a fun contradiction there. So was this just for them? Is this just for the special, that kind of indwelling, empowering, outpouring of the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 says he has placed his seal on us. He has put his spirit in our hearts as the pledge of what is to come. Oh, there may be times uh, like, like these where the Holy Spirit empowers believers for a specific task, a, a special task. But we are promised, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ, that you, Christian, have been sealed with his Holy Spirit. You, Christian, are filled with his Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. Most of the time, we don't attempt to live in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, but our own power and wisdom and understanding, rather than depending on the never-ending power of God that dwells within us. Ephesians 1 verse 14 tells us, the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance in redemption till we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's not so that you can get what you want when you want it. It's so that God is proving to you throughout all the struggles of your life, you belong to me. We're going to see here in verse 68 through 74, the blessing of the Lord, the, the turning towards God and blessing God. In fact, it, the name of this is often pulled from the first word that he's going to speak here. This benediction where it says his father Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit uh, prophesied saying, blessed. Uh, Dad mentioned last week that uh, Mary's blessing of God gets called the Magnificant. Uh, this get, gets called Benedictus because that, that's the first word that's used here. He's blessing God for his covenant faithfulness. Blessing God for his plan of salvation. In the second half Verses 75 to 79, he's going to proclaim the works of God, but through this child. God, you've done great things in general, but now looking, God, you're going to do great things through this child. So let's just read this together. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, last time as we read together, I said, I want you to look for them. Look for how he's shifting all of our attention onto the witnesses. Now look what Luke is doing. He's going to shift all of that attention from the witnesses to God himself. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. All the attention, all the activity that we're going to see is going to be coming from this blessed God. He has visited and redeemed. Sorry, I shut it off there for a second. We're in a learning process here. All right, so blessed be the Lord God. He has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That horn of salvation uh, being this reference. Is there a reason that this thing is just... Aren't you guys glad this is so smooth this morning? It's really working good. It's worth it in the end. The payoff is good. Uh, this, this promise of God raising up a horn of salvation we find again and again in the Old Testament, uh, and it's pointing us towards one thing, this kingship of David. Why are you doing this? That's it. I quit. All right. This kingship of David. You guys scratch on your own Bibles. We'll figure this out. Uh, uh, David's 
kingship is held up as the highest uh, level that was achieved in God's people, in the rule over God's people. And yet David was kind of a crummy king. Like when it came right down to it, uh, David was a sinful man. David uh, misled God's people. And yet we're, we're meant to, as we read all those promises, look through David and see Jesus, see Christ the King, who would come in all of his power and perfection. That, that's the horn of salvation that's being lifted up. Uh, David was here for a while and then died, just like the rest of us. And yet we're told that God visited and redeemed his people. This is not just the God who saved his people, it's the God who stayed with his people. That's why at Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Oh, this is the long-awaited promise, Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. This is a greater king, a greater redeemer than David could ever hope for. So we just keep reading here. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. This is, this is not some new declaration. This is a promise that God had promised his people from the beginning. I'm going to call you to myself. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to give you a land. And then I'm going to set you apart from everyone else who is around you. This is an old covenant promise spoken by the mouth of the prophets of old. Consider as we celebrate Christmas, it's not John's birth that we celebrate, it's Jesus. Even though John's comes with all this fanfare and everybody sees it and everybody hears it and everybody in the hill country is talking about it, Jesus comes in quiet obscurity and only a handful of shepherds who just happen to be in the region keeping watch over their flocks by night find out anything about it when it happens. And yet it's not John that we celebrate, it's Christ, for Christ is the Redeemer. All of this situation, all of the, the lead up and build up, and how often do we think that our moments, our situations are what life is really all about? Oh, but if people really knew what I was going through, if they knew how big this moment is for us, big good, big bad, big hard, oh, then they'd really know that everybody else has their normal stuff, but my stuff is special. Oh, how quickly we just look to ourselves. It's, it's as if we just hold up the mirror, and then we bring it closer and closer to our face until the rest of the world disappears. And yet the attention shifts, the focus shifts off of this precious old couple who's waited 30 years. It shifts off of the angel. Even off of all of God's people who've been clinging to Old Testament prophecy and promises living out all of their lives, living and dying with unmet longing. How many, how many Israelites was that the story for? God, you've promised you're going to redeem us. God, you promised you're going to save us from this oppression. And they hoped, and they prayed, and they died. God, you're going to redeem us. You're going to save us from this oppression. And they hoped, and they prayed, and they died. Why? Because God was waiting. Oh, at just the right time. He sent Jesus into the world. Yet when God doesn't do things in our time, how quick are we to say, God, I think you've quit on us? What's the thought behind that? God, I'm the most important person in the world. Don't you know that? 
Don't you care about that? Luke chapter 18, verse 31 reminds us what the actual important thing is here. Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. All of this longing and waiting and hoping was a build-up to the coming of Jesus Christ. Not of them, not of their life, not of their ease or happiness, but Christ, the Redeemer, who would come. Luke chapter 24, verse 24 to 27, some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but they didn't see him. This is immediately after his resurrection. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Why are they foolish and why are they slow of heart? Because everything they had hoped for just got crushed as their Savior was murdered in front of them. It's over. The hope is over. The dream is over. And he says, O foolish. O slow of heart to believe. To believe what? Not that your life would turn up happy and easy, but that God would keep his promise. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses and all the prophets is a shorthand way of saying of everything in the Old Testament, he shined the light of the Messiah on it and said, this was about me and this was about me and this was about me and it was never about you. Oh, that God would do that for us today. That he would shine that light on our heart when we are so tempted to go, this is all about me, and we would see, oh no, this is all about Jesus. We've been called, even as John was, to prepare the way for the Lord. God was pointing through John to Jesus. Friend, I have good news for you. Our lives, God is doing the same thing. He's pointing through you to Jesus. In your joys and your blessings, he is pointing to the God who cares for his people, provides for his people, protects his people. And in your sorrow and your suffering, he's pointing through you to the God who is there with his people, sustains his people, strengthens his people, is enough for his people. Oh, that we would see that. So why does it matter, Christian, the way that you act and behave at work, or at school, or at home. Why? Because God is pointing through you to Jesus. And if you are behaving in a way that is incompatible with Jesus, that doesn't reflect his nature, doesn't reflect his character, in fact is standing against his word in your heart and attitude, in your words and your actions, as he points through you towards Jesus, those around you, the them for who you were born, are hearing the wrong message. Oh, it matters. We don't have some code of these words you shall say and these words you shall not say. These clothes you shall wear and these clothes you shall not wear. I mean, there's a lot of churches who do, and they fall into the legalism of that. And here's what they get caught in. Uh, by doing this, uh, we, are, we are sort of earning our status. We're proving our status before God. Either earning or proving are two things that we are incapable of doing. No, God is pointing through you to those around you who don't know Jesus to Christ himself. And therefore, if you live a life that doesn't reflect him well, you're preaching the wrong message with your life. 
It matters how you speak. It matters how you act. Not that God would save you even more. Oh, but that they might see Jesus. Look at verse 72. He did this to show mercy promised to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. Remember he said the prophets of old said this was coming. Verse 73. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the whole point of this. The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, said, I will bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That found no fulfillment in Abraham himself. It didn't even uh, find a fulfillment in the sons of Abraham and the grandsons of Abraham that would come from him. No, that was pointing us all the way forward through Abraham to Christ, in whom all the nations, all the people groups of the earth will be blessed. And here's what he said is coming for you. You have an opportunity to serve him. But look look what verse 75 says. As we serve him, we are to do it in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The point of the whole thing is that God's ransomed, redeemed people might worship him, might obey him, might serve him, might reflect him well because they're walking in his righteousness and holiness. That's not a Sunday morning righteousness. It's one of the reasons that I am not in favor of Sunday morning best. I'm just not. That we're, we're a casual church as far as our dress. And yet, I hope, even as we did this morning as we prayed, we are not a casual church when we come before the sovereign king of the universe. Does that make sense? If we are just dressed up in the right clothes, dressed up in the right words, dressed up in the right uh, heart attitude when we come to church, but the rest of the week doesn't match we're preaching a false message. This is not just Sunday mornings, but all our days we are to be living and serving him. No excuses, no exceptions. If you're sitting in this room, if you can hear my voice, you've been called by God to serve him. Whether you're a believer or not, doesn't matter. You've been called by God to serve him, to obey him, to Love him above all else, all of your days, in holiness and righteousness, no exceptions. Ah, but you don't know my family. I mean, I'd love to do that, but have you met my husband? Like, that's the way, have you met my wife? Have you, have you met our kids? It makes sense. No excuses, no exceptions. This is the call of everybody. Why? Because it's not your power of salvation, it's God at work within you. He's using you. He's pointing through you to Jesus. And look what he is accomplishing here. Verse 76. He points now to the child. Right? So it was you were born for them, and now he shifts. You were born for him, this one who is coming. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. 
So what's, what's John's ministry as he comes? What, what is it that defines him, that defines his message? It is this, your sins can be forgiven, but you have strayed from the living God, and so repent and return. Repent just means turn around, turn away from your sin. But what's the other big component of John's ministry? Repent and be baptized. In the waters of baptism, symbolizing dying to your sin. Not only turn from your sin, but die to your sin. It's only in Christ that we're going to get the second half. Be raised to newness of life in him. Even as Jesus was resurrected, so you can be resurrected in him. But his message is turn from your sin and die to your sin. Why? Because God is gracious. It is God who guides you. Even though we were once lost in darkness, he will lead us in the way of peace. Look at verse 78, because of his tender mercy. Oh, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. He concludes by saying, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. No details. No details of the next 30 years of the most important person thus far to show up in the New Testament. No details of what it looked like for him to be a young Jewish boy growing up in Torah school, in Jewish education. We get no details of the death of his parents. What happens with them? We don't know. No details of this Nazarite vow that was said from before his birth he will be a Nazarite meant that he couldn't ever cut his hair, he couldn't ever drink wine, he couldn't ever touch anything that was unclean, including a dead body. That possibly means that John was not allowed to go to the funeral of his parents when they passed away. But we're given no details of that. No details of the beginning of his ministry. No details of his life in the desert. Just suddenly, a public appearance. He explodes on the scene. And already, all of Jerusalem and Judea and the hill country are going out to see him. Well, the gospel good news, just like our lives that have so many gaps in them, things that we don't understand, we don't see the whole picture, the good news is that John came to point to somebody else. To point us towards peace and salvation. And Jesus is our peace and salvation. Jesus is the one who would visit his people. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. John sort of blows in and blows up and blows out. Jesus is Emmanuel, God, with us. Jesus is the one who would redeem his people. He's the one to whom John would point and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And therefore, oh, hearer this morning, you must believe. Whether you believe it or not, you must believe. Your call, your command is to believe. Scripture doesn't invite you to believe. It commands you to believe. And I just want to talk, just, I, I know we're, we're about to run out of time here, but I want to talk to the one who sits here week after week and is playing at being a Christian, pretending at being a Christian. And the rest of your life, when people find out that you go to church, they go, you? You go to church? It doesn't matter if you are young or old. If you've been around a long time, 
or you're a young kid who comes here, and every other kid in your life would never guess that you belong to Jesus Christ because you don't live like it and you don't talk like it. John the Baptist was going to have some really serious words to say. Everybody's coming out to him to be baptized. Everybody's coming out for this public declaration of I'm turning from my sin and I'm dying to my sin and not just to the Pharisees, not just to the scribes, those religious leaders who were against Jesus. He says openly to everybody who is coming, who told you to turn? Who told you to repent? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And here's the, here's the call today. Quit playing at it. If all the, the evidence, all the fruit of your life is actually pointing in a different direction, here's what John said. The axe is already at the root. You think you've got everybody fooled. You think you've got your family fooled. You think you've got yourself fooled. You think you have God fooled, but you do not. The axe is already at the root. In other words, God will chop you down out of his vineyard, out of his forest. You blend in with all the other trees, and God sees it. Repent. Believe the gospel. Believe that God is bigger than your sin. Believe that God has the power to save you. Zechariah heard of God's great plan of salvation, and he doubted and was struck dumb, unable to speak. And here's what we should say. That's good. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Oh, you who think you know so much about God and his word and how God and his word should work in our day and age, because, well, I think, here's scripture's command to you. Shut up. I mean, it's a loose translation, but uh, (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, look it up, write it down, shut up. The Lord is on his throne, not you. Shut up. He does all that he pleases. Keep silent before him. Be humbled before him, you who think you know so much. Oh, we are so easily convinced that we are so important, that we have it all figured out. Yet just like this older couple, we disappear and there's no trace of us. We have no idea what happened to them. Uh, How many of our ancestors have disappeared and you don't even know their names? You don't know their story. Why? Because this isn't their story. This isn't God's great plan of redemption for their little family so they could have the perfect Barbie dream life. Do you know why this old couple is in this story? Contrast. What what do they bring to the table? Complete inability. They're unable to have a baby. Even when they're in their young prime years, they're unable to have a baby. And now they're in old age. They really can't have a baby. He hears the good news and he can't even believe. And then, not only can he not believe, he can't speak. Contrasted with the power of God and all that Christ was coming to do. This baby born, given to us. In their old age, contrasted with God who is the ancient of days, who never grows tired and never grows weary and does all that he has planned. They can't believe, and God says, you can't even imagine my thoughts. My my thoughts, my ways are so much higher than yours, you can't even imagine them. 
They can't speak, and yet God's voice goes out through all the earth. Friends, as we see them, we're meant to see a reflection back of ourselves and say, this is not my story. My life, not my story. My family, not my story. My job, not my story. My life is point is meant to point towards Jesus. This is his story. Christ has come. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah on this side of his birth, on this side of his cross. We say he has come and it is finished. Now we must repent. We must come to Jesus. And here's the good news. No matter how messed up you've been, no matter how lost you've been for how long, if you come, he will have you. So here's the call. Come to Christ. Because he has come to us, now come to him. Confess your sin. That's where it starts. Just a simple confession. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I fall short of your grace. It's not just the big things. It's the little things that contaminate our heart and mind as well. Confess them not just to God. The Bible says you're to confess them one to another. You've got to find at least one other person and go, here's the kind of wretched, terrible sinner that I am. I love when uh, Charles Spurgeon was accused of being a sinner and his critics were trying to convince everyone that they shouldn't go and listen to this uh, firebrand preacher of the gospel preach week after week. He says, oh, they call me a sinner? They don't even know the half of it. And yet Christ is the Savior. Confess your sin knowing he has the power to save and then you connect with God's word and God's people. Friend, again, listen to me. If you've been in this church a long time and you have no desire to read God's word at all, you may not be a Christian. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying you should examine yourself. If you've been here a short time or a long time and you have no desire for God's word and you have no desire for fellowship with God's people. In fact, when I said confess your sin to other people and you went like, yeah, that's not for me. I don't even like most of these people. That's why I sit on this side of the room, right? If you have that, there's a chance you're not a Christian. You may be a cultural Christian. You may have grown up into it. You may be comfortable in the church because you know all the stories and all the right things to say, but your heart may still be in darkness and not in life. Oh, examine yourself today. And here's the third thing. For those whom God has made alive, commit to grow and serve. That was the whole purpose of this passage, that God is coming to do this, that you might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness all of your days. Confess your sin. Connect with God's word and God's people. You're not meant to do this on your own. You were built for Christian community. And then commit to that community. Commit to the Lord, to a local church, to grow and serve. Here's the reason, because Christ has come. He's finished the work already from the cradle to the cross and now crowned in glory. Oh, that you would see it today. Oh, that he would come to your heart today. And you'd see it in such a way that makes that old hymn come alive. Love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray together. Lord, those words from that hymn are not true for a single person 
in this room in a lived out experiential way. It's true from the perspective of uh, you have demonstrated this gospel-shaped love to us that is amazing, that is divine, and yet we have not yet responded, O God, with our soul, our life, our all. Most of the time, God, the best that we can do is respond in part. Lord, here's one aspect of my life. Here's one aspect of my my thoughts or my attitudes or my words. You convict us on that and we turn to you in that. And yet, Lord, you are deserving of all of us. From head to toe. Soul and body, God, we belong to you. So I'm asking, God, that you would do, even as we saw Luke doing in the writing of this passage, would you shift our attention? We have thought up to this point, God, we're the center of our story. We're the most important person in the room. Lord, would you shift our attention off of us that we might see a whole world around us who is dying and lost without you, who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ, who do not see our great Savior. Lord, would you let us live in such a way that they see Christ through us? Oh, but again, shift our attention, Lord, to lift our eyes to heaven. That we might see Christ in all his fullness, in all that he is, in all of his glory and majesty. That he is deserving of not only our worship on a Sunday morning, but our obedience. God, we are yours. And I pray, Lord, in this moment that we would surrender body and soul with all that we are. That's more than we can do. And so we pray for those who don't know you, O God, even in this moment, give them grace to trust in you, to repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ. For those who do know you, Lord, but their hearts are cold and distant, give them the gift, O God, of conviction. O Lord, let their sin set heavy upon their hearts. Be kind to them. And give them repentance to turn from that sin, to die to that sin, and to put on the righteousness of Christ. For those who do know you or are following after you, we pray even greater faithfulness. That we might go from glory to glory as we are being changed and transformed into the likeness of our precious Savior. Let us, O oh God, reflect you well before a watching world, we pray. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.